Amen. Right on. We're in this series called Balancing Act, and we've been talking for the last week. We kicked off last week. We uh, actually talked about um, the unbalance of disunity. And so as we're trying to keep balance and we're trying to keep things in order, one of the things that really throws us off and causes us to stumble and fall is when we walk in disunity, when we don't contend for unity. So I encourage you, I can't recap the whole thing this week, but I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon. I, I do believe in the culture that we're in and the time that we're living. It's really important for us to protect and understand that the scripture has called us to be a people of unity. And if you look at Genesis all the way through Revelation, you see that the message of the gospel calls us to unity with one another. All the way down to even the way we pray. The scripture says in the Lord's Prayer, this is how you should pray, our Father. Speaking of like our, our mindset is unity with one another. Are you with me? And so I encourage you to check out week number one, but uh, jumping into week number two today, uh, I want to just really kind of lay out to you this idea. You saw the tagline there, which is in a culture of where a lot of times we actually chase what's urgent instead of what's important. And so many times you look back at the end of your year and you're like, oh man, I, we really wanted to do this, but we didn't get to it. Really, why? Because we chased all the fires over here and all the other things that were louder instead of focusing on things that are important. So I'm grateful for God's word. I'm grateful for his scripture because what this actually does, it's not a book of, of people of God trying to control us and put a bunch of rules on his life. It's actually a book of, of helping us find this balance and live the way that he created us to. Can I get an amen today? Uh, you're totally welcome to, to do some amens and help me preach the sermon today, all right? If you're on Facebook, you can do the hearts and the likes and angry faces if you need to. I'm just up for any kind of reaction today, so I'll take it. But I was doing a little bit of studying kind of about balance. I think a lot of the times we lose our balance because our pace is wrong. And so I was reading this study, and I forget the group that did it, uh, but every 10 years they evaluate what people uh, value and what people enjoy. And so they keep following up every 10 years about the things that people uh, find joy in and, and find valuable. And uh, one of the interesting things that I noticed is uh, there was a 40% decrease. So over time, they look at the things that people are now finding less enjoyable. And they did a study. So they're hooking people up and they're, they're looking at their brain waves. They're doing all these different things. They're, they're verbally interviewing them as well. And one of the things that they noticed is in a 10-year span, the group of people studied uh, their brain waves and their activity begin to show that 40% of people tasted their food less at a 40% less rate. Meaning like 10 years ago, they would in their brain waves would be like, oh, I'm tasting this. I'm enjoying this. I'm understanding. This. And then now because of the pace that we're keeping, we literally just eat food to inhale it. <laughs> Are you with me today? You understand what I'm saying? It making any sense? So there was once a point, I was actually going to pass out candy. Be like, okay, all right, eat the first piece. You guys would all eat it. And I'd be like, all right, eat it. And then I would be like, all right, now eat this and taste it. And you'd be like, oh, this is amazing. You would love it, right? But what's happening is like pace is causing us to rush through, you say it to your teenagers, like, you just inhaled your food, right? You said that. But like the, the pace of literally like sitting and dining and enjoying what you're consuming and what you've prepared is, is now less enjoyable. There's other funny ones that I saw is, do you know that in the 90s when they did this survey, people listed receiving a phone call as something they enjoyed. Uh, I would not be in that category. Are you with me? Like that is definitely. But at one point there was people who would like the phone would ring and they'd be like, oh, people like me. I want to hear this. And now I'm like, who's calling? <laughs> I'm not. I'm a pastor. I gladly welcome all of your phone calls. And, but some of you, I was one that, and this one's also sad. Uh, they said one of the things that used to be listed as something enjoyable that was meaningful to them in life was putting the kids to bed. 
How many of us suffer now through putting the kids to bed, right? But think about it. There used to be a time in life where the pace was so balanced that a family used to look forward to the opportunity of putting the family to bed. Some of you are like, no, I still look forward to putting those kids to bed. No, I mean like the, the act of like being with them and putting them to bed and praying with them. Uh, and, but it's now become less enjoyable. What's happening is we're going way too fast and we're chasing after way too many fires and we're way out of balance. Are you with me? So I think it's something we have to look at is balance. How is God calling us to balance? What is important? What is priority? And so today I want to talk to you about finding balance in, in prayer and in, specifically in intercession. Uh, not only is there prayer, which I think most of us have the understanding about, about prayer and we pray and we pray for ourselves and we pray for things, but there's actually a style and a method of prayer that's been given to us by God called intercession, the ability to intercede and believe for one another. Uh, I like it because it brings balance to our selfish lifestyles. Uh, I pray for me and I pray for mine. And I pray for what I want. And God's saying like, but also what's really important is that we pray for others in community. Are you with me? And so Romans 12, 12 tells us this. I got a lot of scripture for you today, and I encourage you to be note takers. Be people who get out a device or a piece of paper or whatever and take notes. You're going to be retained at a higher level. Another thing that's cool that a lot of people don't know is if you're actually a note taker in church, your fantasy football team will score 40 more points than other teams. So <laughs> it's a good thing to do on a Sunday. But Romans 12, 12 says this, be joyful in hope. Like you may have hope for some things. You may be hoping for something, but the scripture says be joyful in that. In all that you're hoping for and all that you're believing for, make sure you have joy attached to it. Then it says this, be patient in affliction. So you may be afflicted right now. You may be walking through, through, through some afflictions. Be patient. Walk patiently in that. Not on edge, not out, not, not out of balance, but be patient in it. And then it says this, be faithful in prayer. We're going to see a lot of writings here from Paul. We're going to see a lot of messages uh, from Paul, who, of course, is like the father of our faith, and he's given us so much incredible New Testament knowledge. And so uh, if we're looking at his example, there's just, it doesn't come from like an idea of, hey, it might be a good idea if you consider. Now, this is Paul who like laid groundwork for, for how we're called to live. Are you with me? And so he's saying, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. Not every once in a while pray. Might be good if you pray. Faithfully remain in prayer. Now, if I'm going to bust you and me on something, the Barna Research Group tells us that the average American Christian spends more time preparing themselves cosmetically in a day than they do praying. So you spend more time brushing your teeth, putting on deodorant, combing your hair than you do talking to the creator of the heavens and earth. It's more of a priority for you to, to, to style and put on makeup and prepare yourself and your scent than it is for you to say, creator of heaven and earth who holds my day in his hands, who's created me and knows me before I was born, what do you got to do with my life today? We spend more time on those things than we do that. How I many you know we're way out of balance? Can I get an amen? We're way out of balance. And the scripture saying we're called to be faithful in prayer. What's funny to me about prayer and some of the gifts that God gives us in Christianity uh, is it's amazing to me how we take what's meant to be a strength and we make it a burden. God has given us this ability to pray. Like Jesus says, like, I don't do anything unless my father tells me to. God's given us this great gift to be able to communicate and pray and intercede and move on other people's behalf. God's given us this incredible gift and we treat it like a chore or a burden. It's like Superman walking around like, oh, 
this ability to fly is just, oh, all this super strength, all these superheroes are saying, oh. No, 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 it's, it's a great privilege. It's a great honor that we have this ability and this opportunity to be able to pray, to be able to be in conversation with the creator of heaven and earth. Can I get an amen? It's not a chore. It's a superpower. It's a strength that God has given us to be able to talk with our creator. Intercession, I'll give you the definition, is this. It's the act of intervening on somebody else's behalf. It's not a chore. It's a privilege. It's an honor that you literally have the opportunity to act and intervene on somebody else's behalf. Your brother, your sister, your community, other Christ followers, you have this incredible opportunity to intervene on their behalf. It's not something we tolerate. It should be something we celebrate. Can I get an amen? So Paul, just again, on all sorts of opportunities through scripture, begins to show us this great uh, blessing and benefit that it is to be a people of intercessory prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 in the New Living Translation. It says, pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. It's not just when the prayer team meets. It's not just when you have church. It's not just when you get your little version Bible uh, scripture sent to you in the morning. No, it's at all times, on all occasions, we're doing what? Praying for one another as believers. It's not, just a, it's not just a side piece or like, no, it's what we do. We pray on all occasions for all believers and for people everywhere. 1 Timothy 2.1, the NIV says this, I urge then, first of all, again, it's such a high standard. I urge then, first of all, it says, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, thanksgiving be made for what people? All people. We're interceding for all people. It says, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. I love the message version of this. It says, the first thing I want you to do is pray. First thing we do in our life. Okay, Andrew's with me, and I'm happy about that. I don't know why they put them way far in the back. Usually I get a little help up here from them. But the first thing we do, not when we get to it, not when it's convenient, not when the church reminds us to, the first thing we always do is pray. The first thing I want you to do is pray. Then it says, pray every way you know how. Again, this is the message version. You pray every way you know how and for everyone you know. Then it says this, pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well. Obviously, it doesn't apply much to the days we live in now, but we'll just move on. But pray for everyone, every way you know how. What's the emphasis here? Prayer and intercession for others is a big deal. And it should be a lot more than the time that we're spending on it currently as American Christians. Intercession in prayer in contending. It doesn't, it says pray any way you know how. Just be a person who prays first. I wrote it down like this. Prayer is not the only thing we do, but it should be the first thing we do. Jesus saying, I don't do anything unless the Father reveals it, unless I've had this conversation, this communication, this, this whether it come from the word or worship or however God is leading me, prayer is the first thing that we do. It's not the only thing we do. There's all sorts of, we got to serve and we got to love and we got to get in action and we got to move out. But at the same time, prayer is the first thing we do. Uh, many of you know this. I used to run a bakery uh, in, in my old days, in the olden days, uh, I was 18 and I would, I ran this bakery in Hudsonville and, um, I was the manager of it. And so 
there was a great structure that had to happen to like the work day of the bakery. And so, how I many know everybody wants their donuts in the morning? So that means the donut crew would have to come in really early and, and they would start the day. And so it started with you get the glazer warmed up and you get all the different toppings warmed up. You get everything all put together because some of you addicted coffee donut eaters, if your donuts aren't ready, you get mean. <laughs> so you got to get it right. But the, the process of the bakery, though, like if we didn't get the first thing right, it messed up the rest of the day. If the donut people got behind, then the cake decorating people got behind. And if they got behind, then the bread people got behind. And so it was this whole, it was this whole thing. And so I just remember the stress and the pressure of making sure you had the right people in the right place first. It's the same thing in our lives. If we don't get prayer first, if we don't get intercession, if we don't get going to God first, it messes up everything else on the other side. Are you with me? So I'm urging you pray. So just like you say, pray any way you know how to pray, but be a person of prayer. Isaiah chapter 59, I don't have this one for you on the screen, but it's speaking of God and Isaiah says, he saw there was no man he saw there was, that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Scripture for the word wondered was this. He was stunned or appalled that there was no intercessor in position. It stuns God when we live in a position that lacks intercession, when it lacks prayer, when it lacks going to heaven, when it lacks connecting with other people in the realm of prayer. It makes God appalled and stunned that no one stands in that gap. Can I get an amen? It's again, it's a blessing. It's a benefit for us to be a people who can intervene on each other's behalf. We see in scripture, there's kind of two styles to intercessory prayer. I'm just, I'm just trying to get you to get a picture of what this looks like and how this operates. So we see in scripture, there's a couple of different ways. Uh, many times uh, intercession is like, it's a defense. It's a building of, of a defense or a fortress. You're praying for somebody in defense or, or you're a stop for them. You're, you're, you're saying it's like uh, one reference is that you've built a wall of intercession. So it's a protecting that you do when you're praying for others. You're, you're praying in protection of them, in defense of them. And another one is a prayer of connection. You're going to God on behalf of somebody else, and you're, you're praying a connection point. You're praying God opens doors and uh, lights up the path for them. Are you with me? We have a two-year-old daughter, uh, and she, uh, she's walking, of course, and running around and all those good things. But there's also times when she gets really excited or eager for something. Many of you know this with a little one. Of course, what she wants me to do is hold her. Like, oh, I want to be a part of that. Dad, pick me up. Hold me. Take me there, right? So pick me up. Hold me. Hold me. What she wants me to be is the one who takes her from where she is, connected to me, to connect her to the thing. I'm the middleman. I'm the intercessor in her life. I'm the one who can pick her up to the thing and put her to the thing. So she says, hey, 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 hey. That's what intercessor, intercessory is. That's what prayer is. It's saying, hey, I see the great need over here. Are you with me? I see what's happening. I see the hurt. I see the pain. I see their loss. I see the things. And so what I want to do is I want to stand in the gap for them and connect them to what they ultimately need. Aren't you grateful for love for a child? We got the team up here. Get up for Joe and Michelle up here. The rest of the team. There are people that are saying, hey, we want an intercessory stand in the gap. We want to connect you to what God has for you. Are you with me? It's people coming in and being that. And uh, the scripture actually gives us a really clear picture of this. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, only a priest uh, could go to God on behalf of man and then go to man on behalf of God. That's what a priest would do. 
So go to God on behalf of man, and then go to man on behalf of God. But in the New Testament, because of what Jesus did and the work that he did on the cross for us, the scripture says we're now kings and priests, which means through intercession, you have the ability to go to God on behalf of man and go to man on behalf of God. Hey, I've been praying for you, and I've been believing for you, and I've been interceding for you, and I just want to let you know this on behalf of God. Are you with me? And so it's so incredible for us. Again, it's such a great honor and power. So this, this balance of being able to intercede for one another, it's not a church chore. It's a huge blessing that God has set you up to walk in. Can I get an amen? There's all sorts of layers and levels to it. I'll show you in scripture. God wants it to be personal for us. God wants it for something that we walk in personally. We see in James chapter 5, verse 16, I shared it last week. It says, therefore, confess your sins with each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So the scripture is saying one of the ways that we pray and intercede and walk in intercession is we literally together will pray for one another. Scripture promises that healing will happen. And so you need to be living in a lifestyle where you're praying for people. It's a part of our Christian walk with God, that a part of how we walk with God is that we pray for each other. Can I get an amen? We also see the early church walk this out as a church. Your church should be praying for other people. Your church should be praying for the community. Your church should be involved in prayer. We see in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for them. Didn't say that the church was just praying at the prayer meeting or they were at that prayer meeting. They weren't at the 12 o'clock prayer. No, they were earnestly praying. They were in a lifestyle of prayer on behalf of Peter. The scripture actually goes on to say Peter gets set free and they're still praying for him when he shows up on the doorstep. So the miracle happens right behind them while they're still earnestly praying for him. They're so focused on intercessory prayer for him, they don't even know that the breakthrough happened. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were so earnestly connected to our intercessory prayer with one another that the miracles are just happening all around us? We don't even know it yet. I was about to say amen, people. <laughs> Facebook group, I know you're, you're clicking like and saying amen. I know you're with me. But church, it matters that the church is praying. Uh, I see Jesus is the example. We all say, oh, we're Christ-like. We want to be a follower of Christ, so imitate Christ. Jesus is somebody who walked in intercessory prayer for others. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is somebody who interceded on behalf of another person. We also see currently in heaven, Romans chapter 8, verse 34. It says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also what? Interceding for us. He's our example. And what is he doing in heaven right now? He's interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us, and he's connecting, and he's, he's are you with me? So our, how are we going to do this thing? How are we going to make a difference? How are we going to transform communities? We're going to do it by way of interceding and praying and doing it first. Can I get an amen? Five points for you, and they're really quick. But write these down. This is how we do it. This is how we live this out. Number one, point number one is this. It is our responsibility to pray for others. It's our responsibility as believers to pray for other people. It's not the prayer team's. It's not the sweet old prayer lady who shows up all the things and prays all the things. We don't leave it to all them. It's our responsibility to pray for others. Uh, I put it down like this. You care for what you care about. You care for what you care about. Uh, so we have kids, of course, many of you know that. 
And so at night when you're trying to get some sleep, because sleep is important, and so you're trying to get some sleep, and I don't care in the middle of the night about the little tyke slide that's in the backyard when the wind kicks up and I can hear it tumbling around the backyard. I'm not going to get out of bed and go take care of the little tyke slide. How many are you with me? I don't care. So I'm not going to care for what I don't care about. Are you with me? But in the baby monitor, when the kids wake up in the middle of the night and I'm trying to get some sleep and I have a responsibility to care for my kids, when I hear a kid wakes up and there's some crying or something's going on, obviously because those are my children and I have responsibility for them, I say, Jess, wake up. (laughs) The, The kids... The kids are making noise. They're your responsibility. The dog is my responsibility. He's sleeping fine over here. So, But you, you move. You do things because you care for and you care about and you have great responsibility and investment in things that you care about. How much more so as Christ followers should we be like, hey, this community and my brother and my sister and the things that are going on in this world, I have responsibility for them. I care about them. Therefore, I move to action in their life. Are you with me? It should cause us to be inconvenienced in the way of intercession because we care. Uh, We see Cain and Abel. uh, The first time you see somebody sort of try to go, well, they're not my problem. Uh, We know that Cain murders Abel, and God says to Cain, hey, where's Abel? Of course, he knows he kills him, but he says, "Uh, what am I, my brother's keeper? It's not my problem. And God's actually like, no, yeah, he is your problem, because this thing is about community. It's about caring for one another, and I've given you this earth and these people to connect and steward. And so it's the first time we begin to see in Scripture, like, it's not my problem. How often do we say about this group or that thing, they're not my problem. I don't care. They've they've made their own bed. They can sleep in, Right? No, no, God calls us to community and intercession and caring for one another. The truth is, in real life, we move to what's hurting. We actually take steps towards what's hurting in natural life. If If you've ever been around a car crash, maybe you were the first one around it. Nobody else was there to help. How many of you know naturally people rush to go help the hurting? You see somebody get injured and you step out to quickly help. Why? Because that's what you do. I know in our, in our dirt bike riding, when we race at our motocross track, if somebody crashes, you're like, oh my gosh, somebody crashed. Everybody gets off their bikes and we put our, and we go check on them. And we, why? Because you move to someone who's hurting. And then it gets really annoying as guys because then every, every guy is like, well, looks like what you did, you, you went off the track over there. I'm like, yeah, no, no kidding. Thanks, Carl. Like, I know. <laughs> I was crashing for 400 feet. I know, you know, they start telling you what you did wrong. <laughs> Looks like your track's over there in the tree. Yeah, I know, bro. That's why I'm on the ground, because <laughs> I win in the trees, <laughs> you know. But you move, you just don't keep passing them. You move to who's hurting. How much more so should the church, especially in our prayer life, start moving to those who are hurting? Are you with me? You don't abandon what you're, you don't abandon those who are hurting. You move towards them. Romans chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Again, just another picture of how prayer has got to be on our hearts. Romans chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. Again, Paul just writing so many letters. We're going to look at all the different times he addressed the churches that he ministered to. He says this, First, I thank my God through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. 
And I pray that now, at last, God's will may be open for me to come to you. His letter to the Ephesians, he said, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks and remembering you in my prayers. Again, Paul, he's doing all these incredible things, but he continues to write to all these things and let them know what? Hey, you're, I'm praying. I'm praying. I haven't stopped praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. Philippians 1.3, I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, praying for you. How about Colossians 1.3? We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we what? Pray for you because we're praying for you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. 2 Timothy 1.3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. I know I'm being redundant, but Philemon 1.4 says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. The father of our faith who has great reputation at this time, and he's writing these letters. He could send all sorts of things, and what he's letting them know as I care about you, and one of the ways I care about you is that I'm constantly, without stopping, praying for you. Do you know what this would have been if it was modern-day church? Hopefully Paul wouldn't be this way, but I just wonder if you had somebody of that kind of influence in today's era, I wonder if the letters would have went more like, hey, we're kind of a big deal. We're reaching all these people. And here's the stats of people who are following us and the buildings we're building. We just launched a, a, a pretty legit paulministries.com. The Instagram's pretty lit right now. And we would make it all about our church stats and accomplishments and all the things that we're building. Instead, Paul's like, you know what I want you to know? I'm praying for you. And I'm not stopping and I'm remembering your prayer. Why? Because it's so important for us to be a people who have a culture of praying and intercession for one another. A healthy move of God, a healthy community of God has to have healthy intercession. Again, I've said it before. You can't be like, well, the worship's good and the preaching's okay. The kids' ministry is great. Uh, but yeah, we don't really do much for prayer. No, intercessory prayer has to be a pillar of a move of God or it won't be sustained. Can I get an amen? The other thing, not only is he praying, but he's receiving prayer. First Thessalonians 5.25 says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. He's calling for prayer into his life because he understands the power of intercession. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. He's saying, not only am I praying for you, but he says, pray for me. There's power in asking for prayer at the same time. You know what one of the saddest things is as a pastor that I have to deal with? Do you know that most people come to me with this posture when it comes to prayer? Hey, pastor, or they come to the prayer team, or they come to, or they send an email. Um, hey, pastor, I hate to ask this, but will you pray for me? Isn't it sad that for some reason the majority of people approach a church and think that they're a burden because they're asking for prayer? That they're almost doing something wrong to request prayer for their life? And Paul's saying, like, look, not only am I praying for you, but pray for me. We got to build a culture of acceptance that's like, no, intercessory is what we do. I want prayer from you, and I want your prayer for me. And I want to pray for you. We've got to build this culture of prayer and intercession. It's something, not something we shy away from. It's something we lean into. Intercessory prayer and praying for one another is a big deal. That's why I think things like Saturday morning prayer ought to be more highly attended than just 10% of our church. 
If, 40, if 400 people come here on a Sunday, sometimes more, sometimes less, right? Obviously, things are weird now. And 40 people show up on Saturday morning prayer, that's great. That's actually above the national average. But I also think it's a huge disservice to intercessory prayer. I understand things get in the way. We only have 12 Saturday morning prayers a year. The first Saturday of every month, we come together as a church corporately and we pray. We have 12 of those. I can't imagine that actually 12 things rank more importantly than that in the course of a year. Can I get an amen? Do we care about intercessory prayer? Do we, pray, do we care about praying for one another? Or do we leave that to the prayer team and the pastor and the staff? Can I get an amen today? Point number two is this. Ask God who he's called you to pray for. We just got to ask God who he's called you to pray for. Uh, I think about it like this. We do things like this. We say, oh, love for a child. I love love for a child. It's amazing. This group, love for a child, came to our church, and it's so great. They're doing this thing. Okay, but like on Monday, are you going to pray for Joe and Michelle by name? Are you with me? Are we going to move? Are we going to move enough beyond just saying, "Oh, I click like," and I think it's a neat thing, and God bless their heart? Or are we going to actually ask God, God, who do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to strategically intercede for? Are you with me? Because the weights are real for people. The darkness that they step into and have to contend for. You know what they need? They need intercessory prayer. People, can I get an amen? And that's why we're going to pack this place out for the summit uh, in just a, a few hours here at two o'clock. I'm telling you, you got to come back and be a part of it. But we got to ask God, who do you want me to pray for? And you're actually going to be surprised and maybe even a little disappointed <laughs> because the list of people God has called you to pray for is really big. And as a matter of fact, he's actually called you to pray for some people you don't want to pray for. Because Matthew chapter five, verse 44 says this, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So when you ask God who you're called to pray for, one of the people you're called to pray for is your enemies. The message translation says it even worse. It says it like this. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst in you. This is where it gets crazy. It says when someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. When someone's giving you a hard time, when someone's getting on your nerves, when somebody's doing the thing, guess what we get to do? Pray for them. We get to put them at the top of the list. And you don't get to pray, I pray their brakes go out. I don't, you don't get to pray that. <laughs> you get to pray for them. You get to pray for them. Point number three is we need to be intentional in prayer. If you've ever heard me uh, uh, preach a prayer sermon, you've probably heard a few of these points. But I think prayer needs to be strategic. You've heard me say this before. Uh, appointments, we keep them all the time in the natural world. We keep the appointment with the dentist. We keep our appointment with Peasley Chiropractic Care because they're great. And so we keep our appointments. We keep our appointments with the oil change. We keep all of these worldly appointments. But how often do we not keep our appointments with God? We say, oh, I want to pray. Oh, God, I want this prayer life. And we continue to no-show God. And I'm not trying to put guilt and condemnation on you, but I'm saying if we keep appointments at all these silly things, how much more so should we keep appointments with God? I believe you need a prayer place. I believe you need to say, this is where I'm going to be praying. This is where I'm going to be seeking God. And you don't got to get weird about it. I don't want you to create some weird looking temple in the bottom of your house or whatever. If it's the lawnmower, it's the lawnmower. If it's on a bike ride or a run or whatever it is, you create places that you go and you pray. Be intentional. Can I get an amen? I think you need a prayer list. I think you have to be intentional, which then means you have a list. And you say, why has God put this person on my heart? Because they belong in your list and you need to pray for them. 
I pray for every single one of you by name. I look at our attendance list and our rosters, and I pray for you, and I pray for you. Why? Because I'm intentional about the people God has put in my life. Can I get amen? Get intentional. Make a list. Be specific about what it looks like because God honors that. And then lastly, don't be religious. Like, don't be religious uh, about your prayer list. Be intentional, but don't be religious. I don't think it's a good use of your time to say, Lord, I come to you on the fourth hour of the 27th, right? And we just get into this big, like the Lord knows. The scripture actually tells us the Lord what's you, knows what you need before you even ask, okay? And so go, just don't be religious about it, but be intentional about it. And then point number four is be unintentional in your prayer. Point number three is be intentional in your prayer. Point number four is be unintentional in your prayer. And what I mean by that is be sensitive to the opportunities to sporadically pray. You ever walk through a store and you're like, man, I just kind of walked past that person and I felt weird or it was like a thing or I saw their face and it, you know, they kind of hit me different. Maybe they're going through, some, yeah, that's the perfect time to unintentionally pray for somebody. Or you hear this thing or you hear this person say a word and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that, that, that kind of hit me different. Yeah, because that's the time for you to unintentionally pray. You didn't have it on the list. You didn't have it in the prayer place. You didn't have it at the prayer appointment, but God still wanted you to pray in that moment. And so you just be ready to, I say it like this, throw a prayer. Sometimes I just walk by somebody, I just, under my breath, just kind of throw a prayer at somebody. Just kind of throw a thing because, because I believe atmosphere matters. So you just you throw a prayer at person. And I believe God will make it effective. And then the last point is this. Uh, you need to let people know. I think it's okay to let people know that you're praying for them. So you, you just pick up your phone and you just go, hey, just wanted to let you know I was praying for you today. So, hey, n n nothing big. A lot of times what we get caught up in in church world, if I can talk to some of the church people today, we get caught up in we have to have like a prophetic word for somebody. We got to thus it and that way and say. So, but, so instead of just praying and telling someone you're praying for them, we think we got to give them this whole scroll of things. But I'm telling you in my life, it's been just as encouraging, just as motivating in my life when someone just says, hey, Praying for you to have some wisdom. Praying for you to have clarity this week. Praying for you. And then I go, hey, dude, someone's praying for me this week. Then I'm going to have wisdom and clarity. I'm probably going to have wisdom and clarity this week. Because people rise or fall to the level of your praise. We pick up the phone way too much to do the negative. I just needed to let you know. And usually what comes after that, I make Jess or the kids read. I'm like, oh, this one's for you guys can deal with this one. But what if it's, I just wanted to let you know, I'm praying for you. I believe in you. God's got good things for you. He's going to bless you. You're not going to be overcome. Are you with me? That's what God wants us to be doing in intercession and praying and connecting with one another. Can I get an amen?